Are you guys ready up there? Hello, and welcome to the WIFT Ireland podcast. I'm Vanessa Gilday, Vice Chair of Women in Film and Television Ireland. In this podcast, we go back in time to the 2019 Cork Film Festival. As part of our legal clinic event, media law expert Jean Kelly from Irish entertainment law firm LK Shields explained copyright law in detail. This event was made possible thanks to the generous support of the BAI. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It's lovely to be down in the alternative capital. Um, and generally when we do um, film and TV agreements in our office, so that's a big part of the work we do, and especially the work that Aideen does, um, we would do them under Irish law. And Irish law actually includes the law of Cork, which people don't always realise. So it is actually not a separate jurisdiction, <laughs> um, although some Cork people may feel differently. So um, IP and chain of title... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, but it's like the another industry I work in a lot is the software industry. And there's actually a lot of parallels because the, the laws that protect software are actually the same laws that typically um, protect film and TV work. So a lot of these issues that we come up against, we come up against more often day to day in software issues, but they're really key in film arrangements because in kind of software arrangements, you know, people can clean things up when a company gets purchased, whatever. And so even if a company doesn't have great work done on their chain of title in a software company by the time they get to an exit and they think Microsoft is going to buy them they spend a lump of money at the end and they they do as much cleanup of the IP ownership as they can to make it fit for sale you know and assuming that everyone involved is still you know in their in their contacts and still friendly with them they get the relevant kind of fixing documents that's not as possible, I think, in the film and TV world, just because of the nature of the industry and the freelance nature of some contributors. So um, it becomes really important in film financing, and that's that's why we're mentioning it here. So this slide here shows with the production company at the mi- in the middle, all the different people that are involved, all the different uh, type of rights that are involved in a film or TV production, the production company and um, being at the centre. Now, I'm going to use the term film throughout this presentation, but it equally applies to you know TV work or documentary, whatever it might be, but I'm just going to say film. So copyright ownership is dealt with under copyright law, and copyright law is best regarded as a kind of a bundle of rights. So any production will have a whole bundle of rights And there are different people who, as a matter of law, not as a matter of contract, but as a matter of default law, have certain rights. Now, sometimes they're not aware they have the rights, and that can be useful if you um, want to kind of exploit and not properly um, uh, reward them. Um, But at the end of the day, they have those rights, whether or not you were aware of them. So a finance person wants to see that you have dealt appropriately with those rights, that you've either paid the person for them or you're going to replace those rights with a credit or some other arrangement. Because the production company is the entity that everybody will sue if something goes wrong in this. And if it turns out they didn't have the right there or the sufficient level of rights to do what it is they want to do, which is to make the work, to make it available, to advertise and to have a marketing campaign around it. So um, we're going to use in these examples, in these slides, a single production uh, because it's just the easiest to, to graphically and represent legally. Um, but of course, you could have co-production arrangements, in which case you'll have another parallel layer to that with a co-production agreement and all of these other rights uh, for other people. 
So um, at its very base, the production company, a little bit like software company, has to have sufficient rights to put the thing on the market. And that is typically going to be um, copyright. And copyright, um, and this is convenient in one way and inconvenient in another. In some countries, you must register a copyright somewhere in order to have the right. That's not the case in Ireland. You have it by virtue of the creation of the work. Now, you might decide that you're going to send a copy to somebody um, under registered post so that if there's a row in the future, it'll show, it'll be proof that you owned it or, you know, some way towards proof. Um, but you actually don't need it as a matter of law. So if two separate people, and this is the example that copyright lawyers always gave, if two separate people in a room, the example used to be in front of typewriters, but people in the room may be too young to know what those are, but in front of two computers, sat and wrote the same screenplay. So if, through the you know, uh, accident of fate, they actually wrote literally the same work, word for word, punctuation for punctuation, they would each own copyright in the separate work. Um, copyright isn't a right that kind of knocks out, it's not a, like a patent right where it's, a, it's um, where only one person can have the right, a number of people can have copyright in a work that's actually identical to another work. So the chances of a work being absolutely identical are very, very slim, obviously, but you get the right by virtue of its creation. So as a result, somebody in this picture, a protagonist, an author, a composer, can have a right which um, the production company needs to clean up without them being have, I mean, aware of it because they haven't had to register it anywhere. Um, and there may also be trademark rights involved. So someone might write a screenplay for a new Star Wars movie or whatever and of course a lot of the Star Wars products and food things and even cooking utensils and things like that now with the Le Creuset range um, have actually got trademarks attached to them so there might be something being used in the movie that is both subject to copyright um, right and trademark rights there can be all kinds of rights that are involved so how do you kind of clean it up or how do you kind of put your best foot forward while well, you brief the correct lawyer which is actually <laughs> AD in this instance and um, you don't do it yourself the more than you don't do your own dental work. Uh, sometimes clients come to us and they say, and it's usually pretty heartbreaking, uh, I found an agreement on the internet and I just basically filled in the blanks. Um, it is the equivalent of doing your own root canal. The chances of you getting it right are about the same as two people in two separate rooms writing two identical screenplays accidentally. Um, and it can be hard to clean up these arrangements if they're already executed. Um, so the chain of title documentation. So what do you need in order to kind of, you know, do this kind of cleaning up of the title or making sure that everyone has the right rights? Well, in the development, so there's, this is on a timeline from development phase through to post-production, with the lesson always being try and do as little post-production as you can, because the confirmations you may need to give to a third party like Screen Ireland or a bank or whatever usually have to be made before post-production. So you'd have an option and assignment agreement. I'll go through what those are. You have a screenplay, a writer agreement, an assignment to rights and other development materials. These are all kind of separate agreement, but at their base, they do the same thing, which is they transfer rights from a person that the production agreement doesn't want to have those rights anymore mm -hmm. uh, through to the production company. Or if an original rights owner, which is copyright law sets out who is the default owner, for each different type of thing, like a piece of music, screenplay, or whatever. Copyright law sets that out. So it may be that the production company doesn't need to own it or doesn't need that original rights owner to have no rights at all. They may leave that person with rights that don't impact on the overall production. And then a kind of a habit and uh, an industry standard has grown up around some of those things. So it's not always about 
taking the right, but taking so much of the right as is needed for you to do as a production company what you need to do, including, which is crucial, getting and maintaining the finance to make the thing in the first place because the rights are no good to anyone if the work can't be made available and can't be monetized. So the production at the production phase, you'll have a director agreement. And I'll talk about why you have all of these different agreements, producer agreements, co-production, if it's a multiplicity of producers, script editor agreement, composer agreement, cast and crew agreements, vary in size, and sync licenses. And then post-production, the biggest legal work for us is usually the brand clearance arrangement. So if there's a bit of product placement or whatever appearing in the thing, um, ideally you wouldn't be doing the sync licenses post-production. But look, sometimes people come up to you and the thing is already in the can, I believe is what you lovies call it. <laughs> um, the thing is already in the can and some cleanup has to be done and you just cross that bridge as you come to it. So copyright is made up of, um, uh, well, I suppose in relation to chain of title, a lot of the time what you're trying to do is you're trying to prove what you have done uh, in order to kind of funnel all the rights into the right company. And it is a core asset because obviously um, copyright law, this is something that um, our lecturers and colleges always make this point, is that copyright law inevitably includes for the original owner, so if that's the, for the script, it's the writer, um, the right to make the thing available or to shelve it. So if I write something and I have the copyright in it, um, that includes the right for me to lock it away and for no one to ever see it until after my death, if ever. So that right then is obviously a very damaging right to any, any kind of film production because putting it on the screen or playing it even at a film festival is a violation of that right because that person owns the right to make it available or not and what you don't want to be doing is saying to a bank well listen it was two o'clock in the morning after the Cork Film Festival we were down in Cass Cocktail Bar and at the back of a beer mat he said to me he had no issue with making it available <laughs> because some of the biggest media productions in the world have actually been exploited some of the time on the basis of very informal agreements sometimes signed sometimes not but usually if they're financed the bank expects you or the finance house expects you to have a very high standard of paperwork so the chain of title is you proving usually to that bank, a financer, a funder, that you have sufficient rights for them to release the funds. Um, and that includes giving you an advance. So they won't give you a minimum guarantee unless you give these chain of title documents as well. So what are the chain? So the, the rights include copyright, i.e. the right to make available and the right to publish it and put it out there in the world. Moral rights, which includes um, certain rights to be identified with the work um, and for the and kind of not to not disparage the work or for the work not to be parodied within certain exceptions. Some laws allow parody. Um, but there are various moral rights and some of them can be waived and some of them can't. And then there are performers' rights, some of which are copyright-type rights. So the agreement that you enter into usually deals with all of these rights. So it's copyrights and related rights. You don't always have separate agreement for these rights. You try and, because if you're trying to get someone to sign a piece of paper and you don't want them to bring it to a lawyer, or you don't want them to turn it into a big who have because it might only be a small amount of money you're giving them mightn't pay them to go to a lawyer about it and um, you want to try and clean up as many of the things as you can so development so the development phase so say the example we're going to use here is you have a published novel so i've written a novel haven't actually but i'm on i will one day of the dirt that there is working in Dublin law firms <laughs> starring aideen <laughs> 18, you're not going to be as tall and lovely as you are. You're going to be blonde, right? You're going to be more difficult than you are to work with day to day. Because, um, like, on, it, right? on that, I'm just going to sell a quick aside. A friend of mine is an author. 
And he was selling a novel a while ago in which for the first time ever in 20 years as an author, he based a character entirely on his wife, who's a really good friend of mine. She's daft and brilliant. And for the first time ever, and he's with her 30 years, but he's writing 20 years, he based the character entirely on her. And his London publisher said that he had to change that character because she wasn't believable. He was like, three kids says, three kids says she's real. So the ownership of the right. Well, first of all, you need to identify who is the current owner. Now, someone... um, You know, you might just take a look at the book and say, well, this is a book on Gay Burns Live, for example. And you can go into the front of the book and see what the copyright notice is. And it'll say owned by Pan Macmillan or Faber, Faber, whoever uh, it might be. It could be just the author themselves. Um, But that may not, like, that's not maybe sufficient because someone could have sold the rights after the book is published. So that's that's not enough diligence on the right to just have a look at the copyright page on the book. Um, so, I mean, at a minimum, you'll get the person who's selling it to you to confirm that they have those rights, but they need to show you where they got the rights from. Because um, from time to time, you do meet people who believe they have greater rights than they actually have. They may believe that because they have paid money for them, but they may not have adequately papered it back in the day. So they get very, uh, I definitely have it because I paid over the money. And that can be... Um, that can be not the case. They may not have entered into sufficient um, arrangements around the rights, particularly if the copyright existed in another country, which may have other formalities about copyright law. So they may have an option, but was the option exercised in the right period of time? If the option was only for 18 months and they exercised it and gave someone a cheque for 10 grand two and a half years later, does that get you to a sufficient level of copyright that, that a funder will release the funds? Probably not. And so how do they acquire the rights in something like um, a film agreement? Well, if a producer wants to make a movie based on a film, it'll usually enter into an option and assignment agreement with the author or the publisher, depending on who has the rights. Um, Typically, what there will be is there'll be an exclusive right to develop the materials into film or TV or whatever media. Um, Typically, that will be a short period of time, just be an option to do it. Um, a short period of time, maybe 12 months plus six months, usually return for a payment of an option fee. And that option fee is quite a small amount of money. So it's really um, the kind of right of first. You're paying for a right of first refusal, essentially. And then when they exercise the option, that's when it gets interesting. That's when people start looking at holiday homes and going, you know, I'm now maybe able to buy a sports car or whatever, depending on, on, depending on the novel and how much it's worth. Um, and at the time of exercise the option, there's then a further agreement which is entered into and that's where you actually acquire the full rights, the adaptation rights, um, and that's in return for obviously a much higher fee. Um, and that's really the first kind of chain of title document that you'd expect to see. In terms of other development materials like the screenplay itself, so say if someone has, write, has written a screenplay, and, and say it's not based on a book, it's just entirely original work, it's not an adaptation or anything like that, there'll be a screenplay writer agreement because the default copyright law is he or she who writes the thing, is the owner and um, so you need an agreement with the owner that says I allow you to make it again this all sounds blindingly obvious but the reason why Adrian has a job and why there's a whole industry around this law is that sometimes people don't paper this correctly and uh, someone comes out of the ether and says hang on I've got rights that I haven't been properly compensated for or I still have rights <laughs> that prevent you doing uh, what it is you want to do so um, screenwriter um, or sorry screenplay agreement is entered into um, and the, this is exactly in parallel with the software industry. We've had say, software clients and they might bring someone in as a consultant and say, I want you to work for a year, you're not going to be an employee, 
we'll give you 50 or 80 grand. I want you to come in two or three days a week and write software for us. And we will pay you. You'll be responsible for your own tax, etc. But we will pay you 50, 80, whatever it is, a fixed fee for a certain number of hours of software writing for us because we don't want to hire an employee, but we need a job of work done. What frequently astonishes people is that even if you pay someone and they create copyright protectable work, unless you have a piece of paper that assigns it, they own it, even if you paid them. In software, 10, 15 years ago, people didn't often know that. So there might be someone out there that had rights. We had a client once and they had um, a number of work placement students who came in from Irish University in their third year, bottom fell out of the Irish economy and those people sometimes didn't go back to college because they ended up getting a job. But during a time where they weren't an employee, they might have created very valuable work. And then the company had to go and compensate and get an assignment because they asked them to sign an assignment and the lads quite rightly folded their <coughs> arms and said, I will sign an assignment all right, but I think it's worth a bit of money. And they end up having to pay something like 10 or 12 grand to a few reasonably recent graduates to kind of clean up the title. Now, that was funded by the company who was buying them, who basically said we don't want there to be any shade of doubt around any aspect of the title. So a bit like that writer agreement even if you pay them unless you uh, unless you get the document correct. It doesn't have to be a very long document, actually it typically isn't. Um, you need to kind of show that you've got that title. Um, so there should be a, an assignment of all rights um, and sequel and prequel rights, rights should be sought, assuming that it's like it makes economic sense to. If obviously if you're dealing with as Star Wars, whatever, the numbers may change for sequel and prequel rights, but uh, assuming that you think that it's really all the one bundle and there isn't going to be someone else interested, try and wrap up as much as you can. Usually it's a fixed fee linked to the delivery of certain drafts and there'll be uh, a credit clause in there to, to set out exactly uh, how the writer is to be credited and an approval process because the producer will want to approve each draft um, and so you want moral rights so that the screenplay writer doesn't get to kind of trump the producer's comments so if you're getting paid for it you're it's more like a job of work and you're you're passing it over you're saying goodbye to your baby when it's delivered over and it goes out into the world in another way and actually coincidentally Aideen and I were at an event a couple of weeks ago where Margaret Atwood because we're very big name droppers you may notice <laughs> our, good friend, our good friend Margaret Atwood or Mags as we would call her um, was talking about that tension of watching your work on screen and people were saying do you not like, does it not bother you that your work looks like this on Netflix and your book? Um, she was just, I, I was really impressed by her because she was like, more or less, I sold it. So they do, they do it. And I continue yeah. writing. I was like, I wanted to kind of record yeah. it and go, this is how, now, of course, her amount of money might have been enough, yeah, but she gone. So. I wish them the very yeah. best, you know. Um, so screenplay agreement. And then there's like <laughs> other uh, like treatments, storyboards, all of those things have to be kind of, all the different materials have to be treated the same way. But the screenplay is probably kind of the biggest one. So if there's music, uh, so like any particular film might have 10 or 12 of these rights, all of which have to be tidied up in the same way. Um, but music rights, um, if there are key works that have to be included in the film, you need to check um, check the rights and make sure that uh, there's any sync fees that they're paid and check who the rights holders are. And of course, it's a national sport in Ireland to say that shouldn't the original creator or something that was created by the monks in 1450 and is therefore outside copyright. But, you know, you have to kind of check into these things to the extent that you can. So at the production stage, then, so you're moving into the production stage, you've got all your rights, you, you've got your funding, it's all tickety-boo and the cameras are rolling. Um, the director um, 
the default position in Irish law is that the director and producer are, are joint owners of copyright in a film. So that's great if everyone's all friendly. Um, but you want to make sure, as a production company, that you have the relevant rights because if you fall out with the director, then they have joint rights in it. Mm-hmm. So you want a director agreement uh, that transfers those rights over. And again, it'll deal with credits. It'll deal with um, you know, how prominent their name is in the credit. Obviously, being a director, it'll be very, very high. And you want them to waive moral rights as well because you don't want them to have the right to come back and say, I want the film to be changed because in my production of it, the ending was this and I have a moral right for that work to be true and to be as I envisaged it um, and therefore I want the Titanic ship not to have actually hit an iceberg and for no one to have died in the course of that <coughs> film um, so again that's a fairly straightforward fairly kind of light agreement um, but trying to do it when people have fallen out fallen out is the difficult thing you know mm-hmm. so you can try and get it before the and these are like prenups you know yeah. and you want to get it signed <laughs> before the wedding day <laughs> So composer agreement, again, a bit like the copyright uh, work for the written word, the author, uh, the composer is the first owner, they have moral rights, and you need to have a composer agreement so that you kind of hoover in all those rights into the production company. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, you don't pay people for these rights, the agreement includes the payment in it, you know, there is payment. Um, and then there's the cast agreement. And again, these agreements vary hugely depending on whether you have, I'm going to show my age now by mentioning Tom Cruise, but I should probably say Killian Murphy to make myself feel younger. <laughs> so, and especially with that in Cork, sorry. Yeah. I just say Killian. No, you don't say Murphy in Cork, do you? Say, say if it's Killian, for example, name drop, name drop, don't know him at all. Um, so, you know, if you have someone that's an extra, then, I mean, they have the right to their own kind of the, the representation to their image and all of that. I mean, in certain countries, like in France, you have even stronger image rights. But the cast right, they have rights in their own performance, if you like. These are performance-based rights. And again, you want to make sure that those are kind of hoovered into the production company and into the uh, the overarching kind of IP core of the production. And um, if you have a big star, then they will have their own lawyer, they will have their own team, they will have, um, you know, whatever provisions they have about three page nudity provisions usually provisions the temperature of the water has to be 37.2 actually 37.1 we'll talk about that (laughs) sorry about that um so but usually it's only one or two people that you'd be entering to big negotiations with everyone else usually signs the default cast agreement and is just really concerned to make sure they get paid um and then the producer agreement and our co-production agreement is a very important agreement that makes you know that sets out all of the economic provisions and how long the rights are to last for. It has to be in the right corporate entity. So some people will have a production company that they use only for one film. Other people will have an overarching <coughs> film company that actually has a series of different um, uh, productions. It really just depends on the tax structure of that of a particular entity or not. But if someone is um, wanting to kind of warehouse all the IP in one particular company because they envisage selling off that company in the future, then you just have to make sure that it's in the right company because um, transferring it later down the road, I mean, generally it's free from tax to transfer these things. It used to not be. But generally, if you're transferring things later on, there can be CGT and CAT implications for it. So it might be free of stamp duty. Um, there might be other tax. We always need to be very careful about where you put the rights because you decided day one, you can usually fix it and moving around other places, but it might need somebody else's consent to do that. So you try and kind of get it once and not be redoing the paperwork. And because for some reason, people don't like paying lawyers multiple times. I don't know what it is. It seems outrageous to me. But anyway, I believe it's, it seems to be part of the, um, the industry. 
all industries. <laughs> so you're looking at visual, special effects and special effects. Again, all of those creators have their own copyright and performance rights in the things that they create. And again, you want to make sure that that is brought into the core of the arrangement. And um, similarly, people who are doing dubbing and subtitles. So subtitle is a separate work because it's different language. So um, it is subject to copyright as well. So you want to make sure that the company owns that. Similarly, with dubbing, the person's audio performance has its own performance rights. Even though they're reading <coughs> something which the company may own, their performance right is separate right. Again, you want to make sure that you own all of that. Sync licenses, as um, it is always saying to me, try not do these post-production because when the thing is already made and someone realises that as well, they know they kind of hold the whip hand in terms of negotiations because trying to um, you know, substitute different music in or different score can be very difficult. Um, so try and kind of have those before you uh, before you're going to finalise the production. And then last but certainly not least, especially in this day and age, if there are is product placement and there's you know some big moment in the movie and Wrigley's chewing gum is a big part of the scene and you want to make sure that you don't have a problem with Wrigley or you want to um, have a, a product placement battle between Orbit and Wrigley and um, then you need to kind of put that in place um, in the po usually that's on the post-production phase because uh, you can kind of substitute products uh, in and out reasonably easily in a way that's not as simpler for music and um, so that's a kind of a whistle-stop tour um, and 18 knows way more of this than I do, by the way. You can probably, probably tell. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's it's just about satisfying. If you were if you were funding all of this yourself and you didn't care about anyone suing you in the future, you could make a film without ever doing any of this stuff. And you would only realize there was a problem when someone came tapping on your door when the thing, as you say, success has many fathers and failure is yeah. an orphan. Someone comes and says, <laughs> oh, I was involved. I was in a work placement working with your film company five years ago and I edited that document, whatever. Mm. And interesting, I saw on this now, I, I, I don't believe in any way it came about because of a row, but I thought it was very interesting. Um, I went to the Colin Tobin play, um, Pale Sister, there last week. And I thought it was really interesting because they presented the work as being Colin Tobin with the actress because Lisa Dwan apparently put so much into the actual content of the play the Colin Tobin wanted her to be credited not quite as a co-author though it's Colin Tobin so even on the book itself it has a credit to her because she gave such significant edits to it although he is the writer that he felt now there might have been something financial behind it too but Ed, I don't believe so and he felt that she should be credited so obviously they obviously came up with an arrangement around that as well to say that okay I might have written 80% of it but it wouldn't be the work it is without the contribution of that person mm -hmm. and either because I have an agreement or because I'm a decent person um, I am going to reflect that and that's very consistent in their messages about the reviews of the film the brochure everything so it made me as I was going to, watching it I was kind of thinking this looks like something that was kind of documented mm -hmm. you probably look at it in the same way and say definitely some kind of a contract placed on that because it will go to the states and if it goes to the states it may end up with film and then people will want that to be cleaned up yeah. so and um, yeah so sorry i probably went a bit over time there for the most up-to-date information on copyright law contact lk shields directly at lkshields.ie until the next time, thank you for listening. For more content, podcasts and information, please visit our website at wft.ie.